You may be seated at this time. Uh, kids can be dismissed to follow Miss Kathy right over here to go to Children's Church for an age-relevant Bible study. And uh, before I begin the, the sermon this morning, I just want to start off with a few, uh, a few practical things going on in our church. Um, I want to give a, a specific and an intentional, um, David, I think I might be a little loud, uh, Daniel. Um, I want to give a very special welcome to a man named John Starr. John, raise your hand over there. Raise your hand for us. John Starr is our new associate pastor. Uh, He was voted in last Sunday. And uh, man, I'm so glad this guy is here with us. And I want to tell your family, um, all of you guys, that we're excited you're journeying with us. Um, You know, we're dreaming big things for the future. And uh, I just want to let you know that as a church, we welcome you guys. We love you. And we're glad to be on this journey with you. Um, John will be preaching for us next Sunday. Um, I want you to really get to know him on a pastoral level, and so he's going to be opening God's Word for us next week, which is Mother's Day, right? It's Mother's Day weekend, so uh, looking forward to having him preach. Um, So thank you all for being here. We're glad you're here. Um, The next thing is I want to announce, we're finishing our series this morning, um, but uh, starting June 1st, we're beginning a brand new series in the book of Psalms, uh, cleverly titled Summer in the Psalms. Um, I'm really proud of that title. Um, I don't think it's actually original. I think it's been used before, but I came up with it in my own mind, so it, it counts for me. Uh, but it's called Somewhere in the Psalms, and um, really I think what this series is going to be for our church, um, I think it's going to be a time of reflection and prayer. Um, John and I have talked a lot about um, tying in a prayer initiative to this sermon series for this summer. Um, I would love it if our church was just in a season of prayer uh, this coming summer, because I think that as a lot of things are happening, um, they're happening fast, it's exciting, we've got new staff, we're in this new building, um, there's a lot of new uh, leadership, there's a new vision to gather, grow, give and go, um, there's a lot of new stuff and change happening kind of quickly, um, but honestly, I just want us to be focused in and dialed in with prayer uh, during the season. I really want the vision for this church in terms of the ministry that we partake in, uh, really to be God's vision for us, that God gives us and that we discern through praying to God as to what he wants from us, because we are a church, and, and Scripture clearly tells us what we're supposed to be doing, but we're White Oak. We're a specific church, and I believe that we have a specific calling. And so I really want this, this summer to be a summer of prayer for our church. We've talked about starting some prayer gatherings in the evenings. Uh, we've talked about creating a prayer room here on our campus somewhere. Uh, we've just talked about a lot of those types of things, and, and I don't want us to just be individuals who pray. Um, I, I desire that our church be a church that prays together. And so I, I ask that you would join me in that. And so um, and also, I want to say, I don't want to wait till things go bad to pray, right? Like, things are going well, and so let's, let's not wait till things fall apart to discern God's will. I pray that we would always be discerning God's will as we go forward. But if you have a Bible this morning, turn with me to Second Peter. That's what we're going to be today as we conclude this series. Second Peter chapter 3, it's towards the end of your Bible, um, right before uh, Revelation. And uh, really quickly, I just want to recap this series, uh, because this week is the final week in our Why Jesus series. And so what we decided to do as a church is we wanted to go from the beginning of Jesus' life here on earth and ask, why did Jesus come and live? Why did Jesus die? Why did he rise? Why did he ascend? And why is he going to come back? Because I think we read texts and we, we talk about these things, but I really wanted to dial in. And so just to recap really quick, we said that the reason why Jesus came to earth was to restore the world and to die for the sins. Jesus came on a path to the cross. 
And then we asked the question, well, why did Jesus die? Okay, why did God have to die? And we said the reason why God had to die is because when we sinned against God, we brought death into the world. And so us as a rebellion creatures, we brought death into the world. So death was already coming. Jesus, in his almighty power, decided to stand in front of death to take it, that we as Christians would not have to die. And then on Easter Sunday, we asked, why did Jesus rise from the dead? And we said things like to defeat death. We said to raise creation to a new and amazing life because as we imitate Jesus in his actions and morality, we also imitate Jesus in his resurrection. And then we asked last week, it was kind of an interesting sermon, why did Jesus ascend back to God God the Father? It wasn't just a historical event. What's God doing in this? And what we said is the reason why he ascended is because he accomplished the mission that he came to do. And because Jesus ultimately belongs in heaven with God the Father. And he also ascended to lead the way for us as his church. And this morning, I have to confess that this sermon, it's a little, it's a little more difficult in many ways. Because whereas the previous four messages were simply us looking at what Jesus has done already. I mean, these are historical, meaningful events. As I preach on this this morning, this is something that is yet to happen. He's coming back. It's in the, it's in the future, and we know it's coming, but I can't necessarily read you an historical event. There are some things in Revelation, and there are things in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Peter and, that talk about it, but um, this is a little bit more, honestly, of a speculative thing. Uh, I'm reminded of the unfortunate incident that happened recently with uh, Malaysian Airlines Flight 370. Have you heard about this? Malaysian Airlines. It's a plane that disappeared maybe a month or two ago, maybe even more than that. And to my knowledge, have we found the plane yet? No. A, a plane vanished, and we can't find it. And I was watching a CNN special on it, and they brought in basically six different people, and the whole segment on CNN was all about... Um, Let's get every single individual, hear all of their speculations, all the things that could potentially have happened. I mean, it might have been a a terrorist attack. It might have just crashed because of a malfunction. It might have landed somewhere. The people might all still be alive. And as they were going through all of their opinions and I was looking at it, I was thinking, I mean, technically all of these could be true, right? There was a lot of speculation. And it's hard when things are yet to be completed. It's hard sometimes to think about it. And so oftentimes we just don't. And the return of Jesus, we do get a lot of detail in Scripture about it. And I want to challenge you on your own time to really look into that if that's something that you feel you need to look into. But what I want to talk about this morning is what we know for sure. And I think what we know for sure is we know why Jesus is returning. And so in 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to pick up there this morning. And as we read this, all you need to know is that this is Peter, one of the leaders in the early church, writing to a group of dispersed churches in this letter, and he is telling them about the return of Jesus and some of the details about it. And as we read this, you will notice that many things that he says relate very much with our day that we find ourselves in as well. And so would you all stand with me this morning as we read God's Word together? If you do not have a Bible, it'll be up here on the screen for you. Second Peter chapter 3. Verses 1 through 13 says this. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder 
that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Hear this, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. May God bless this word. You may be seated at this time. And so I want to make two points this morning. Um, When I was in college, probably one of the most overwhelming aspects of all of the theology that I studied was eschatology, which eschatology is simply the study of the last times. And uh, when you begin diving in here, uh, you get a lot of speculation. Um, I know there's a pastor, I think, in San Antonio who was comparing um, the red, moon, red blood moons we've recently been having or something to the end of Jesus and making predictions. And, you know, whenever pastors start trying to be astrologists, you know, I think you should run. Um, but I, I just think that sometimes we try to make predictions and we focus so much on the things that um, may or may not happen and, and may or may not be the way it's done. And we're trying to figure out um, when it's supposed to be. But what you need to know is Jesus doesn't care whether or not you know when it's happening. What Jesus wants is for us to be prepared. What Jesus wants is us to live like he's returning as soon as it happens. I mean, however soon that may be. Jesus wants us to live lives of godliness and holiness. But two simple reasons why Jesus is returning. Number one, to be the judge the world needs, and I say that intentionally that way, to be the judge the world needs. And number two, to restore creation back to God's full glory. Number one, Jesus will return to be the judge the world needs. It says in Matthew 25, it should be up here on the screen, uh, when the Son of Man, which is Jesus, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, this is the words of Jesus, then he will sit on his glorious throne Before him will be gathered all nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
And so Jesus is returning to be the judge that this world needs, okay? He's not simply coming back because he said so, though that's true as well. He's coming back to be the judge because we as his people, if we want to see a new, better, perfect creation, we need him to come and be the judge. And I think the word judge oftentimes uh, seems intimidating, right? When you hear the word judge, it's like, I don't know who's going to prison, you know, who's in trouble. When you hear the word judge, you think of a speeding ticket, uh, I recently got pulled over for um, not having my inspection done on in my car. It just slipped my mind. And so when you think of judge, it's normally something that kind of intimidates us. But let's walk through this idea of, of what a, a judge is in our American culture. And let's really apply it to what we're looking at here. I think we'll understand it better. Why do judges exist in America? Because we have disputes in our country and we believe that since differences exist and because these differences need to be resolved, we need judges and intermediaries to help us figure things out. We believe in our world that criminals should be punished. We believe that. We believe that murderers and rapists and those who abuse people, those who steal, those who lie um, in important matters, we believe that those people should be dealt with. We have a virtue in our country that reflects that. We also believe that victims should be alleviated. So people that are, are wrongly hurt or wrongly offended, we believe that through the power of our courts and our judges in our country, that we believe those people should be alleviated from the pain that they have experienced. And we all believe in the world that there is right and wrong. Every part, we might disagree sometimes as to what that looks like, but everybody in here, you have an idea of what is right and wrong, and we come and say, well, murderers and rapists, we, we go to the extremes, but there's a lot of evil in the world beyond those things. And what we need to realize is the same way we need judges in America to create what we believe would be a better society without judges. In eternity, we need the same thing. We need a judge, Right? We need someone to come and separate the good from the bad. If we're going to set up a, a perfect world, we believe that someone's got to be able to decipher what is good, what is bad, and execute whatever punishment that may or may not be. And, and I think this is interesting, and the reason why this is so important is because we as humans can't be that judge, right? Because we're sinners too. Right? So if we're trying to judge sin, there's a problem because we're addicted to sin. Us trying to be the ones to judge the sin of the world is like trying to allow a drug addict to determine the drug laws in this country. Okay? If someone's addicted to drugs, do you think it's a good idea for them to be the one who says, okay, people should be allowed to have this much or not have this much? Is that a good idea? No. Answer is no. That's not a good idea. And, and when it comes to sin, I think it's very similar. Because we as humans are sinners. And, and we're addicted to sin. And the problem with the government that we always find out, you know, a new president gets elected, it's a big deal, and, you know, I think they do the best they can. I, I, I think Obama, I think he tries in his best mind to do what he can, but the problem is he's messed up like everybody else is. We as humans, we're easily bought, we're easily swayed, we're easily manipulated. And so if it's up to us to judge the good and the bad in the world, we will never be able to rid the world. You have naive ideas of, of liberalism where somehow uh, more education and more time will solve the evils of this world. But what I constantly point out to you is this past century was the most educated and least oppressed in many ways century we've ever had. And there was more wars and killing and death than ever. Jesus isn't just coming back to be the judge. We need him to be the judge. 
He's the only one who can fairly evaluate the world. And let me apply this to your life today. Let God be the judge in your life. Let God judge and determine the things you do and do not do. You see, we as humans, if we decide that we're going to choose how we spend our money, we're addicted to money, so there's a problem. We're an addict trying to determine what is good and bad. I would say the same with sexual ethics. You know, we, we as humans, we are made in that way, and then we want to determine our own rules and the way we do things, right? But the problem is we struggle with that. And so when we begin to set our own rules, we set them in what we perceive to be our favor, favor although it ends up oftentimes being our destruction. Maybe you're like me and you've had a friend that's maybe gotten in a bad relationship, an inappropriate relationship they shouldn't have been in, or they got on drugs or something, the common illustrations that we use, and you know, they kind of get start doing some stuff, and everyone kind of knows it's probably the wrong thing to be doing, but they keep doing it, and everyone's telling them, are, are you sure you want to be doing this? It kind of feels like you might be going down a bad path, and, and, like, and they start calling you judgmental, or they say, oh, no, you don't know what you're talking about, or I know the Bible says that, but I, I could care less about that. And what happens is they're stuck. They're in a bad situation. They're not able to be an accurate judge, and their parents and their friends, they see what's going on, and it just breaks their heart. We need Jesus. We, we, we need him to tell us what's right and wrong because we're so easily swayed and manipulated by our flesh, which just tugs at us. I, um, I got myself in a tough situation um, this past week, and it's actually something that's been going on um, for the past year of, of my life. Um, I'm currently working on a master's degree uh, at HBU in theology, and I, uh, last summer, I, I've done almost all the hours I need to complete the degree, and I have six hours left, right? And so I thought a brilliant idea would be to write a thesis, because someone recommended it to me, and if I were to write, which is basically just a long research paper, and it's worth six credit hours, and so if I do this, I will have completed my degree. And so about a year ago, last summer, I decided I was going to do this, and I was all pumped. And then my life just got crazy. Um, Halsey's mom tragically passed away kind of out of nowhere and so that that began to become something that we were working through together um, our former pastor Michael Luce he, uh, he, he moved on and I kind of stepped into this role as the pastor um, we, we decided we wanted to buy a house in the neighborhood and so I mean it, and I thought yeah I can do this yeah I, I can write a major research paper with all these changes in my life all this emotion and I, I honestly I just made a bad decision and at the end of the semester, uh, back in December, I had to literally go before my advisor and beg. And I said, I, and literally as I'm talking with him, I'm just saying, look, I just made a wrong decision. There's no excuse. I just, I said I was going to do this. And, then I, and I knew what was going on. I knew the things that were going to be weighing on me. And I just thought that I could handle it. And I made a, a bad call. And so they gave me an extension. And so they were like, hey, well, by the, by the end of January of this month, turn in your proposal I didn't have it done by the end of January, and so by the end of February, I turned in the initial proposal, which was supposed to be turned in back in December, and so I turned in the proposal this February, and I was supposed to be done by the end of this month, and I was so academically fatigued just getting that one paper out that I, I, I couldn't even force myself to work on it. I, I just had so much on me, and there was so much going on, and then we decided to get this building open, and all these things are happening, and, and last week, I had to email my advisor, and I said, I made a big mistake. I, I, I know I've already asked for one extension. I'm really relying on the grace of Jesus right now um, of you towards me because I don't have this thing ready. 
And it's funny, this whole situation, and it's just reminded me of my inability sometimes to make good decisions. And as humans, we all struggle with this, you know? And we forget oftentimes the things that weigh on us and the emotions and the things that we struggle with. And all these things are like, like things that we're carrying on us. And what it does is it hinders our ability to make decisions. And the reality is, is that if this world's going to become perfect, if Jesus is going to come down and make the new heavens and the new earth, in order for this to come, governments can't bring it. And social organizations can't bring it. They can help. They can be a part of what God's doing. But ultimately, the person who does not struggle with sin and the person who is not easily swayed and the person who is all-powerful is going to have to be the one that comes down, separates the sheep from the goats, those who are with Christ, those who are against Christ. And he's going to have to be the one to set this up. And so he is returning to be the judge, not just that he says he's going to be, but to be the judge that we need. Has anyone here heard of that movie, Heaven is for Real? I think we got a picture up here of it. It's a bad picture, but you get the idea. Um, It's ironic because I'm preparing this sermon. (laughs) This, This movie is the number three movie right now in America, and probably amongst church folks, it's probably the number one movie right now in terms of popularity. And um, to be honest with you, um, I'm not all that big on these types of things. I think that scripture is sufficient. Um, But, you know, then again, at the same time, I do understand, um, I I do understand perspectives. And so I know there's a lot of people that I trust and respect that have very different opinions on this. But uh, all that being said, it's basically a movie about a four-year-old boy who's a pastor's son who... um, goes to heaven, dies for a little bit. I don't know how you explain all that. I haven't seen the movie actually, but I've read the plot. Um, And says he went to heaven for a while and came back and he verifies his claim from his perspective at least because he somehow knows that his mom miscarried a little baby girl that there's no way he would have known about. And so through a series of events, um, he says that he's been to heaven and back. But it's funny, this movie, the, the plot aside, I think it just shows us our fascination with the afterlife, man. If you can get a legit claim about something like this, it's like a box office smash hit. People are intrigued by heaven. I mean, seriously intrigued by this idea. And to be honest, when he started talking about the rainbow-colored horse, that was something that kind of threw me off a little bit. Uh, but hey, if there's a rainbow-colored horse in heaven, I'll I'll repent. I'll be like, yeah, you, I was wrong. You know, he's right. You know, that's great. <laughs> that would be kind of cool, but um, I don't know. Just It's not my image of, of heaven, at least, but we're fascinated with this idea. And I love how in Ecclesiastes, um, it says that God has put eternity in man's heart, but what it says is we essentially can't determine what God has done from beginning to end. And so it's almost as if there's this this span of eternity, right? And there's eternity future and eternity past. And it's like we're here in the present, okay? And we know that there was something before us and we know there's something beyond us. But it's almost like there's some kind of guard where we can't fully understand or see anything. Maybe our minds can't comprehend it. Maybe it's not for us to know. But we're just so intrigued by this idea of the perfect world that every single person desires, And what you need to know is that the reason why Jesus is coming to be the judge is the second point. It's it's because Jesus will return to restore all creation to God's glory. Jesus will return to restore all creation to God's glory. In Isaiah 65, it says, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. 
Isaiah 66 says, As the new heavens and the new earth that I shall make remain before me, so shall your offspring and your name remain. In 2 Peter 3, the text we read, According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Heaven and the new creation can be hard to fathom because we don't often think about it. We're so caught up in the mundane. We're so caught up in our day-to-day lives. And I love practical sermons. I really do. I'm, I'm like you. I'm a bottom line person. I, I just want the basics. Let me do it. But I think the basics within the context of the greater story, the greater narrative of what is going on, I think that is very important. A friend of mine was, was talking with a lady at Starbucks and he was telling her about Jesus and the things that are going on and she basically said, well, how does this help me pay my bills? Was her response, right? And that's a common response that we get. How does Jesus help me pay my bills? And, and while that's a common thing that we say, I think what that does, I think all these things that we're talking about, I think it puts your bills into perspective is what it does. I think what, what heaven reminds us of is that there is something greater to come and that if we get so focused on the here and the now, then we miss out on the big picture of what's really happening. And so Jesus will return to restore creation to God's glory. I want you to think of two things right now. I want you to think of God's glory and I want you to think of creation. Okay, two thoughts. Two thoughts. And oftentimes we associate heaven with God's glory. And so where heaven is, that is where the fullness of God is, okay? So, so in heaven, there's God and his glory is immersed in everything. There is no sin. Things are perfect. And then you have creation on this other side, which was created by God for, for good purposes, to honor him, to glorify him. But he created humans as well with free wills to freely love him. And what happens is sin has been, mar- or creation has been marred by sin, okay? So it's like creation kind of gets like knocked off a little bit. And, but God's glory and heaven are still perfect, but there's creation. And when Jesus returns, essentially what he is doing is he's, he's, he's judging the world. He's getting rid of the sin. He's eradicating the sin. He's eradicating those who, who do not want to worship him, who don't want to follow. He's eradicating those things. He's eradicating cancer. He's getting rid of, of pain and sorrow and suffering, the things that we don't like. He's getting rid of those things. And then with what is left, he is renewing things in himself, in his power and in his glory. And he is basically bringing heaven and earth together. Oftentimes we think of heaven as like we're kind of you know, jetting out of this place, right? But when you read scripture, it's so different than that. And there's no babies in diapers either. Like that, that was made up as well. That, that, that's not real, you know. Maybe there's some harps in heaven. But I, we're so off on this topic, I think, in many ways. A theologian that I really respect said the best way to understand it is imagining the redeemed creation covered with the blanket of heaven. And you have the new heavens and the new earth. And, and, and scripture leads me to believe that um, even, in, even in eternity, though heaven and earth will be one, there will still be distinguishable attributes between heaven and earth. And so they just kind of come together in perfection. Kind of like the Trinity, right? It's three persons but one God. And it's, it, it's, it's one new perfect eternity. But there's the new heavens and there's, there's the new earth. And all of this ultimately culminates in the kingdom of God. 
And the kingdom of God is where there is no pain, there's no death, there's no sadness, there's no sickness, because everyone obeys God, and there is no sin, and God reigns. Just imagine this world just without death. Imagine the world we're in now. It'd be a little more populated, of course, but imagine this world now just without that one thing, death. How much better, how much less sad, how much less depressing, how much less horrible would this existence be if you simply got rid of death? And then what about poverty? What about loneliness? What about physical ailments? What if you didn't have to worry about getting run over by a bus, okay? What if you didn't have to worry about your your body getting older, something that we all struggle with, that we will all face? What if we didn't have to worry about physical ailments? How much better would a world or an existence be with those things? You see, we were imagined and the creativity of God before the foundations of the world. And what he initially imagined will come to pass. And I know you want this. As I'm saying, I can see in your faces. I know you want this. I know you're desiring it. I know you're like, yeah, I would rather be there than here. It's because it's real. It's because it's coming for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Christ is returning because we can't be the judge, but the world needs one. And he's coming to bring together God's glory and perfection, unite it with the creation. Because though it's marred by sin, it's still good in God because God created it, right? There's still redeeming qualities. And, and we experience that here in the world. You ever heard a song that moves you or or seen something that's beautiful. For me, one of the things, even when I'm in this place, it, 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 it's beautiful. It inspires me. Like I said, I love preaching in front of this glass up here. It's just beautiful. I mean, it's, things inspire me. And it's like I sense God, but I also sense the weight of sin that is in the world. But heaven is when God's glory unites with creation. I want to close with this thought, and I think this is really going to drive it home for you, and I think it's going to explain how this relates to us personally. The return of Jesus will simply be an amplified version of your life here. Let me explain. I was watching a YouTube video um, of a man who uh, was going around to different college campuses, and he was... um, doing Q&A sessions. Uh, He's the author of a book, you might have heard of it, called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And basically the whole book, the point of it is, um, if you really accept this worldview, here's the things that you've got to adopt. You know, most atheists, agnostics, you know, they do not hold to the the actual implications of their faith. Very rarely will you find that. And if you do, it's scary, okay? But anyway, um, he wrote this book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And because the college audience was kind of his primary 
group, he began going to different college campuses, and he would kind of do a little talk on the book, and then he would have an open Q&A session for anyone that wanted to ask any certain question from what he was saying. I mean, they would come up to ask him all the difficult questions, you know, what about when God said this in the Old Testament? You know, what about when God commanded this? You know, what about, why can't I see God more? They ask all the tough questions. And so he gives this little talk, and then at the end, it's at Ohio State University, and they're having this little thing in this conference room, and they have this mic in the middle of the room, and the time comes where people can come up and begin, begin to ask their questions. And so he's answering questions, and people are coming up, they're blown through the line, and he's answering the questions very well, very convincingly, making a lot of sense. And then this girl comes up, and, and this girl, you can tell she doesn't like what he's saying. You can tell that she's not in agreement. You can tell that she's kind of frustrated by the Christian faith. She doesn't really buy into it. And uh, she starts asking him all of the cliche tough questions, right? She's asking him this and that and, you know, why is this, why is that? And he's answering her questions very well, very convincingly. And you can tell that it's frustrating her a whole lot that this is going on. And eventually she gets so frustrated and she's so aggravated and she just so doesn't believe in all this stuff that he's saying that she asks in this emotional kind of state, an emotional response. She goes, so you're telling me that if I don't believe in Jesus, if I don't follow your God and your way, you're telling me that I'm not going to go to heaven. You're telling me I'm going to hell. This is what you're trying to tell me right now in front of all these people. Gets real quiet in the room. And he's so confidently, he's not rattled, he, he, he almost even kind of smirks on his face, you can see, when she asks this question. And he, as calm as possible, says, God will not force you into heaven. And everyone kind of pauses, and they're trying to comprehend this, and they're thinking, wait, how does that make sense? Let me think about it a little bit. The same way you're thinking about it right now. And essentially what he goes on to say, and I'm paraphrasing here, he says, you see, what heaven is, is the complete presence of God. It's the complete presence of Jesus. And Jesus rules and Jesus reigns. And what he says is, if you don't want Jesus now, you're not going to want him then either. If you don't want to follow his commands right now, why would you want to follow them in the end? And I think sometimes when we think of death, when we think about heaven, uh, we just kind of say, well, you die, and we kind of flip a coin, and hopefully it turns out well, and hopefully there's some good stuff coming our way. And, and, and we almost, we do it so like, like we're flipping a coin or something, trying to figure out what ends up happening. And what you need to know is simply heaven is, is just an amplification of your life here. If you want Jesus now, if you want him to rule and reign in your life, no matter how bumpy it is, no matter how messy it is, no matter how many times you mess up, no matter how many times you sin, no matter how many times you, you fall to pornography or, or you fall to an improper relationship or you fall to gossip or you fall to slander, if you are legitimately desiring and repentant and you're wanting Jesus to rule in those areas of your life, what heaven will be for you, what the afterlife will be for you is just a complete amplification of that idea. And if we don't want God, if we don't want him to rule, if we don't want him to reign, if we don't want to listen to him, if we don't want to obey his commands, we're not going to want to do it either in the end. Because when Christ returns, what you will get is the fulfillment of your relationship with him. 
God won't force us to be in eternity. God, God won't force us to do that. And, and the beauty of following Jesus that I just can't explain, the, the thing that I have just given my life to and all of you who are Christians, which you've given your life to, is this idea that we know we're not perfect, but that we know that when we come to Jesus, we're forgiven. Because if Jesus is really coming to be the judge, Nobody but the judge can forgive you. Nobody but the judge can honestly even pay your penalty. Can you imagine a judge judging a case and then some guy goes to prison for 20 years? He's like, no, 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 but you stay here. I'm going to prison for you. I mean, can you imagine what that would be like? The power of that? And so I want us to keep this at the forefront of our minds as we, as we strive for the practical and the everyday and the things that we're trying to do and as we're trying to, to raise kids and have healthy marriages and serve in the church and work jobs, as we're trying to do all of these things, it's okay to focus on what's going on right here and right now. It's okay to focus on our mission at hand. But we have to know that this is what is coming. This is the end goal. And so this creation, this new heaven, and this new earth can come. So that can happen. That is why Jesus is returning. Let's walk with him as a church together towards eternity. Pray with me. God, we love you this morning. And we confess, Lord, sometimes when we talk about these types of things, it feels heavy, Lord. And God, it feels so heavy because we're just so used to this earth. We're so used to death and pain that the thought of heaven almost seems too good to be true. But I pray, Lord, that we would not let this world distract us from the glory that is coming. God, even being in this place this morning amongst these people with this family of, of believers, God, I, I feel closer to heaven than I normally do. Lord, in the midst of this community and these people, God, I, I just, I, I sense what you're doing. And I can even begin to see the initial stages, God, of what you're gonna do in eternity, God. And I pray, God, that we would know this morning that you're coming back. And that for those of us who want to give our lives to you, God, like the psalmist says, we have a beautiful inheritance. I pray that no one would leave this morning, Father, not knowing you. I pray if people have decided to separate their lives from you or to walk a different direction, I pray this morning you would draw them back to yourself, God. I pray they would live life your way. They would let you be the judge, God, that you can give them the happiness, the joy, the fulfillment that they desire, but they keep seeking in all the wrong places, God. I pray you'd move in this church, God. Bring us to yourself, God. And God, let us see our, your glory while we're here on the earth, God. Even though we know it doesn't compare to heaven. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing a song. Uh, if you need prayer, if you need to come to the front, you can come at this time. But would you stand as we worship together?